0: welcome everyone to trudging it a podcast sharing experience strength and hope on the journey to and in recovery today is our second episode in our women's welcome packet series we're going to be discussing what exactly do i need as a newcomer walking in the door of SA for the very first time and what is it that i'm actually addicted to the reason why we're going to be talking about these topics today is because I received excellent feedback from a newcomer who shared these thoughts with me. My name is Kelly
1: and I am a Lustaholic. I didn't know what that meant when I first came into S.A. I, I thought my problem was physically acting out, that the things that I did that I shouldn't be doing was my only problem. I came to find out that the way that I think in my mind is my actual problem.
0: Now, we've talked about this a little bit in our first episode, looking at the threefold illness, especially under the mental obsession. We talked about how we can lust in our mind and also get very drunk and very high, but we're going to break this open a little bit more to understand just how a potent and extensive uh this fundamental core part of my addiction or what actually i'm addicted to what my problem is and why it keeps leading me to acting out and so that's what we're gonna one of the main things we're gonna look at today getting ready for this podcast some of the resources that i went to in order to be prepared was um one of the best resources that we have in audio is Jess L's Tape to the Newcomer. And also um, some of what I was taught from a sponsee of Jess L's regarding all the layers of this addiction and how it works and um, what solution, what wonderful solution we do have. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. What do I need from day one walking in that door of essay, what do I need to get set up? What do I need to get started? So when I go home at night and go, I've got everything I need to know right now to get me through tonight and to get me started tomorrow or the next day. And that first thing I need to know is I need to be in a meeting. I need to come to meetings and as a woman what I need to hear, I didn't hear it immediately, I did hear it uh, about six months later, was that I needed to be in mixed meetings. When I came into SA, I could not go into a mixed setting which really for me and my experience was a room full of men and I being there made it a mixed meeting. And I also didn't have that vocabulary, I just understood it as an as meeting but I also knew that meant that was gonna be men there. And so when I looked at the labels for meetings on the website, I don't even remember what website it was on, but when I looked at the the website, I saw women's only Zoom meeting, and that's the meeting that I went to. And that was because I did not have any strength, any courage uh, to be able to face all of the fears and the shame and order to go to a meeting that had men in it. So I went to a women's only meeting, But what I needed to hear, even in that women's only meeting, and what I believe every newcomer uh, female needs to know coming into SA is that I need to be in a mixed meeting. And why is that? It's very interesting because my understanding of lust coming into SA was that I needed to avoid it at all costs, and especially from uh, the people that I would be most tempted from. And for me the most people that I would be tempted from would be men and so the solution is to avoid men all the time as much as possible and come to find out that that was actually making things worse for me and so because my disease developed in a mixed setting i.e life full of men and women That my new life, learning how to interact with the world without lust was going to have to be with men and women, albeit in SA. I could not do it outside of SA first. I would have to learn that here and then take it out there into the world. And so I needed that mixed meeting and I need to go to meetings. Well, why is that? Well, the reason why is because up until going to an essay meeting and seeing someone just like me there shining, glowing and radiant, you know, beaming with life in them. Something that I had never seen in a sexaholic before I say, i I have seen many sexaholics, just never saw them well. And so I needed to see you, the fellowship, and I needed, I needed to know you were really like me. And that's why I needed to hear things like the problem and the solution from the white book being read to me. Uh, I cried, you know, as I shared in the other episode. I needed to hear that. I needed to know that you knew what I was and then the fact that there was hope. Because if I don't see it and if I don't hear it, I will not believe it's possible and that hope i need uh, in order to move forward to do this crazy thing uh, called coming into the program and working the steps so i can't do that by myself i need a sexaholic which is crazy because i thought the last thing i would need is a sexaholic uh they got me into trouble or rather i use them to get myself into trouble so that's what i need coming in to essay as I need to be in meetings. Meetings that are focused on the solution and if I can from the beginning mix meetings or I can take the path like many others like myself and I can come into a women's only meeting and I can get enough strength, enough uh, discipline under me so that I can start transitioning to a mixed meeting. The second thing that I'm going to need is essay approved literature. And for me, the most important books that I needed in the beginning was the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the White Book. And the third and fourth book for me would be the Step Into Action uh, Essays book and then uh, AA's 12 and 12, uh, the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And those uh, books is what sustained me for the first year of my recovery in essay. And... Why did I need those books? Well, the program uh, was always laid out, the 12 steps, which is what is the basis for every single 12-step program comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, the work was done there. They, they discovered through a variety of uh, historical events that is miraculously happened really you know mathematically should not have happened but happened so that we understand how the addiction works uh physically mentally and spiritually and what are the steps um to get into recovery and to solve our common problem and that comes from us from the big book however however what's in the big book is a beautifully laid out description of alcoholism which I can get so much from uh, from my addiction and I need that but what it does not do and cannot do is it cannot lay out uh, the depth and the manifestation and how this disease works through the addiction of lust or for the sexaholic and that is what the white book does beautifully and I needed that white book Although I didn't understand it in the beginning, it took me some time to get a clear mind and to spend a good amount of time meditating on it before the understanding came. And I was able to see the wealth of um, not only seeing and learning of what my addiction is, but bringing God into that literature and God helping me understand more the depth of this disease so we have meetings that I need to attend meetings I need the literature and to begin to start reading this literature and the second thing I need especially um, coming in and maybe not seeing a lot of women at first is I need to get contacts I need to look for a sponsor and even if that's a temporary sponsor I don't need the perfect sponsor but I need a guide somebody who has worked the steps has more sobriety than me that can help me and guide me because the one I cannot do is guide myself in this program. I need a guide uh, who has done it and is doing it and is continuing to do and work this program and to take me through the steps. But I'm also going to need lots of women contacts. I'm going to need their experience. I'm going to need their support. And so that's the third thing that I'm going to need. And I'm going to have to begin uh, this long journey of learning and understanding what exactly am I addicted to you know when I came into SA and I think this is true for so many people when we come in we know we've got a problem and we know what many of those manifestations are of that problem and when we come we're looking for a particular solution and I think this is true for so many areas of my life if I'm going to the doctor because I have massive migraines the solution is to make those migraines stop. I mean, I think it's pretty simple. Um, but if I come and I have these massive migraines and the doctor's telling me what's causing those migraines is some other medical malady somewhere else in me and that's gotta be addressed because that's a bigger problem than my migraines. Well, now I know, well, now my solution has just shifted to something completely different. What I need to understand is what this problem is. And that's what we're gonna talk a little bit about. And this is gonna take time there's just no way around it because lust, what I'm really addicted to, um, is so cunning and baffling and there's layers of it. There's no possible way I'm gonna be able to see it all at once Um, because as I come off acting out behaviors, which is the first thing that I see in this addiction, which is I'm acting out and I can't stop and these acting out behaviors is gonna kill me and I need to stop. But once I start those acting out behaviors, um, there's going to be more problems underneath. So I begin to start studying what I'm really addicted to, and that's lust. And I remember having uh, someone in my life tell me, um, I think you're an addict, you know, like um, your husband. And, you know, your husband is is addicted to uh, sex. And I said, yeah, but I'm not like that. I, I don't do those things that my husband do. There's no way I can be like like him and she said yes you are because you're doing it inside your head and you're getting the same effects you've been able to manipulate um, in your mind and in your fantasy in order to get the same um, high that uh, your husband and other people get by going out and acting out and I had learned then that lust um, was the beginning of the drug and uh, that's what I was doing in my head so I'm gonna go real quick and do an overview on these layers of my addiction and what working this program is going to start tackling and the first thing that we know we have a problem with is acting out behaviors and that's true i'm addicted to acting out behaviors and i'm going to have to need a lot of support to stop uh, those acting out behaviors but then what i need to do is i need to stop lusting and that's what's driving these behaviors Um, and lust is what i can do all day long i cannot act out all day long and for women and what we're going to share a little bit some of us uh, women do based on our experience and shame and the culture uh, pressure that's put on women um, being uh, the virtual models of society is that we can act out and so we have this addiction that requires acting out in some form and we can't. And so we get a lit and some of us like myself, not everybody get very covert and very sneaky on how we get our drug. And so there's a variety of ways that women um, are going to not only entertain lust, but act out. So I need to know how am I addicted to this thing called lust and that lust is the core of my substance addiction if you will that's where I'm getting the drug in my brain and the acting out is just me finishing the course until I have to start all over again and so underneath that lust I'm going to have to learn about this thing called resentments attitudes things like control and fear and avoiding life and in our white book our founder Roy K who founded um Sexaholics Anonymous says that uh, he's been living in the margins of life because all of these all of these attitudes of behavior which are so painful and it's why I gotta numb out uh, and I go and I numb out and I just absolutely destroy my life and and all the loved ones in my life um, is because I'm avoiding life and underneath avoiding that life is a loneliness and an emptiness and that's a hunger for God. And what I didn't know is that that hunger for God will never go away. Just like if I don't eat my food every day or drink water every day, I will get hungry and that hunger will not go away. That thirst will not go away unless I take uh, the proper steps um, to hydrate myself and to nourish myself. Well, I didn't know that spiritually speaking, I have to nourish myself spiritually and feed that God hunger and face life. And I'm going to do that with this program so that I can be a part of life. And instead of using these attitudes and negative ways of functioning, to to avoid people to control people to resent people and then to numb out on life I'm not going to need to do that anymore because with help of my higher power by working the 12 steps with the support of the fellowship I'm going to be able to face life and to live life to connect with life to connect with people to have a uh, varying relationships and to be a part of this wonderful journey this thing we called life and that's what this program does and those are the layers of this addiction uh, and a quick overview and we're going to start diving in here into some specifics. One of the things that I learned early on was that this disease is progressive and I needed to have that understanding so that I had a better concept of what this program was about. This program was about getting sober, getting in recovery, and growing in recovery, because if I don't, I'll get drunk and continue to get drunk and continue to do worse and more degrading things in order to get more drunk. Uh, I will never be able to manage it or hit uh, a stable equilibrium, if you will, and I didn't understand that. But what happens is as pain increases and problems increase in my life and they're not resolved and because I avoid them and I numb out on them, those numbing uh, situations where I'm acting out, where I'm lusting becomes more painful. I create more painful situations and memories in my life that compounds the pain. And then I have to do more and more. And why it progresses is because my internal pain is always increasing because it's never being resolved it's never being looked at but in addition to the internal pain progressing is that I am killing and frying my brain and my nervous system so that when I do get high I don't get as high as I did yesterday or as I did a year ago because I'm frying those things that I've overused to get high and so I still have to do more and more to try to get or recreate that original high that I could in the very beginning of my disease and of course I can't do that because I'm destroying my body Uh, but I keep trying because I have no choice I've got to numb out because I can't stop and that is the progressive nature of this disease. And so I needed to understand that, that this disease is progressive. It will never stop. And this recovery of mine is progressive. It will never stop. I continue, as life and problems come up in my life, I continue to address them and face them with the program, with support from the fellowship. And as I do that, uh, these painful and challenges turn into life-giving connections, With people, with God, and I can live life. And see, and they don't increase pain and suffering in my life. They bring joy, they bring meaning, they bring depth, and they bring purpose. And so that's what we're replacing the progression of the disease, is with the progressive recovery. And so I need to always keep that in the back of my mind, that this disease progresses. And even as I am sober and in recovery, my disease is still progressing. And so that it's a concept that I learned and that it's shared a lot in 12-step is that if I were to go back out, I pick up my disease not where I left off 13 years ago. I pick up my disease as if I had never, ever stopped. And who knows what that would mean. I also believe with my personal experience is that not only do I pick up my disease from where it would be if I had never gotten sober, But I think it's even worse than if I had never gotten sober. Um, Because as I get freedom from this disease and freedom from my defects, I make more space for God in a way that the disease could never penetrate. And when I turn from God in my recovery... It gives the disease more access to myself than it ever had before. And that's a very sobering, if you will, sobering reality for me. And I have to always keep that um, in the forefront of my mind when I'm working my program. That brings us to acting out and the manifestation of my addiction. And it's important to share that women act out in a variety of ways. And so do men. And that's why I'm so grateful for page one of the essay white book. It was pointed out to me some time ago that Roy K made uh, the effort to put in not just the sexual acting out, but the romance, addicted to relationships, obsessive, obsessing with one person or a succession of persons. And I'm so intrigued, you know, I'm so grateful that he's always made that space for the different manifestations of this addiction because one of the misunderstandings is that SA predominantly focuses on sexual addiction in sexual acting out. And that's not true. Sexaholism focuses on the addiction to lust and the addictive acting out behaviors, whatever they look like. And I'll give you an example. Um, I have a sponsor in another program. It's called Esanon. And Esanon are friends and families of sexaholics. And many wives um, obsess over the sexaholic. And they, they in a way, uh, and I'll, I'll share this for myself, because uh, I was married to a sexaholic. And so the way it, the Esanon disease works is that I obsess over my sexaholic husband and I'm constantly demanding that loving and attention and the primary way that I feel love and validate is through sexual intimacy with my spouse. Now that sounds like a sexaholic to me and that is something that I very much have but here's the distinction between my Essanon sponsor and myself. My sponsor said to me we have a lot in common The way we obsess about the sexaholic, want to control the sexaholic and want to get validation from the sexaholic and that romantic and sexual intimacy or sexual intimacy to be more specific is the the greatest form of love and validation. But here's the difference between you and me. And she said, I don't have the physical allergy to lust. I don't get the high that you get chemically. I can stop once I start with sexually acting out. You can't. When you're obsessing about the sexaholic or having relations with the sexaholic or romance or intrigue or obsessing, you're also getting physically high. That's not my problem. I'm not addicted that way. I have the mental obsession and the spiritual malady within that threefold illness we talked about earlier, but I don't have the physical allergy. And that's what makes me a sexaholic because all of that is combined together. And so the dopamine that has damaged my brain by overuse, she does not have the same brain damage. And so I am so grateful that I have been surrounded by women who have constantly reminded me that sexaholism in women can be a variety of manifestations. They can be through sexual promiscuity, uh, sexual partners that outside of marriage, there can be uh, same sex or, you know, attraction or relationships. There can be, uh, you know, you name it, all kinds of, of behaviors. There can be fetishes, but there can also be obsession of people. It can also be romantic addiction. It can also be addiction to intrigue, which is constantly fantasizing about how normal and regular conversations with people mean that they're head over heels in love with me, when they're not. But I go into a high in a fantasy land where I am absolutely loved and desired by anybody I come in contact with, or uh, I obsess over one person. That's me. And so I needed to know, because see, I didn't act out outside of marriage sexually. It was very low grade for me. A lot of what I did was with sex with self. There are some women who don't have sex with self, but they're addicted. But there are other women who do, and they, they came to SA specifically because they were addicted to sex with self. There were women who came here because they were addicted to relationships or uh, multiple sexual partners and they couldn't stop. But it's very important to know that that's all sexaholism because I know I fit somewhere in there and I know that I couldn't stop. So I belong here and we all belong here. And so this program can help all of us. And that was a wonderful thing to learn. It's so very important for me uh, to share here today with you why do we have so many different ways of acting out? I, you know, I don't know, but I I can share what my thoughts are on this. I think that, um, we're going to hear a little bit from an old timer who, um, spoke with me recently about shame. I think for me, uh, the reason why I became very suppressed, low key acting out, mostly acting in was because um, due to a very violent uh, assault that had happened to me when I was 12 years old. And I realized that this problem I had, I, I knew I had a problem, i was going to get me into serious trouble. And that's when I started to be very sneaky and hide it and find other ways of getting the same high without acting out so much. And I think that women, because we have uh, a lot of social pressure put on us, that Some of us may act out the way gentlemen act out, but also other people, because of social pressure, that we have to hide it and we find ways of expressing it. And this brings us to the topic of shame and how shame manifests itself in women. Here is a share from a woman, an essay with uh, over 27 years of sobriety, sharing her experience with shame in women.
2: I think that shame keeps women especially from coming in. I think shame keeps men from coming in, but it's more acceptable for men to have a sexual addiction than women. Mm -hmm. Our culture says that um, there are four traits that are considered feminine for women and four traits that are considered masculine for men. And for women, those traits are to be nice, that means very compliant, uh, thin, modest there it is and spend all of your resources on appearance being modest is not one of the traits for men but it is for women so if i'm supposed to be modest how how do i accept how do i acknowledge to myself which is what you were talking about that i have this problem so i had a lot of denial to overcome and shame feeds that denial it is so difficult for women to come in Women, you know, often have trauma about sexual things. And so we, we need to be aware that that might be possible when she comes into program. And men have it too. Unfortunately, in our culture, we, we perpetrate more on women.
0: What are the four traits that were associated with men? So have control of
2: your feelings. Seek status. Work is number one. And violence is okay. That was done by a um,
0: researcher at Boston College. I'd like to share two more clips, and this is just to illustrate this this point. We're going to hear a gentleman talk about what he thought his problem was. You know, what he thought his his view of himself was coming into essay and how he understood his problem. And then we're going to listen to Kelly again and her experience coming into essay and the shame that she had to face. Um, coming in here and getting the help she needed. It's going to be two different experiences.
3: One of the big splashes of water in my face, I I went to a a treatment center where they gave you a medical and I would have bet my life that at least part of my problem, not all my problem is just, I have too much testosterone. It's a chemical imbalance. That's what I thought. And I I was gobsmacked because I'm a macho guy, I play rugby and hockey and exercise and everything, I just said, I'm too red blooded. I have too much testosterone, that's my problem. So I was gobsmacked when I got my results and they said, your testosterone levels are perfectly normal, average. And I said, "You check that again, are you sure? <laughs> and they said, yeah, aren't they elevated a little bit? I said, no, you're, you're perfectly, you're just normal.
0: Now, I don't know about you, but when I came into SA, The last thing I thought was, you know, I think part of my problem is that I'm probably too much of a woman right now. I probably just have too, too much, uh, you know, uh, hormones going on and I'm just, I'm just too much. You know, that is not what I was thinking when I was coming in to essay on, on the contrary, um, I was thinking that I was not woman enough. Again, because what does it mean for me to be a woman was to be a model of virtue and purity. And that's not what I was living, my life was living up to. Okay, here's Kelly again, on what it was like for her coming into SA.
1: Women do not tend to like to see the truth about themselves when it comes to lust. I completely understand that. Finding the willingness, courage, determination, and death defying strength to get past the wall of shame, Is nearly impossible like it's so close to completely impossible for a woman who is strong in who she is if I had not been sober for a couple of decades in another 12-step program I don't think I would have had the strength to overcome the shame like soul-crushing is not something a woman signs up for and until I am completely crushed I won't submit to God I am so grateful I can still face my truth. And, and the reason I can still face my truth is because God is still bigger than the shame. I'm grateful.
0: And that is the great news. There can be a lot of shame for us, but our higher power is bigger. The power of the support of the fellowship is more powerful than the shame that I experienced coming into SA. The love and support and the freedom overwhelms that shame. And I'm so grateful as well. Because of the array of things that is being covered in this second episode, we thought it best to break it down into two parts. And so we're going to end the first part of this second episode, but leave you with a story of hope. Here is Vince again sharing a story of him receiving some promises by working through his shame and program. Here is Vince, and we'll see you next time.
3: I felt a lot of shame, you know, my whole life. And when I started to have some recovery, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And I had restored relations with probably one of my harshest critics, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister. And she asked me, why don't you just get out of our life? And why don't you leave my sister and just leave us alone? And even after about a year and she'd seen a change in me and she was, and i made amends to her and she thought I was doing well, but occasionally she would stir up some shave a bit and like, you know, remember the time you did this, did that. Through all my wife's Lemon jacket at the second floor window. Remember the time you did this. Remember the time you yelled at your kids. Remember the time you did this. She looked at me and she said, how can you live with yourself? How can you look at yourself in the mirror? And that, that was a big problem for me. How do I how am I ever gonna live with myself? You know, all the things I've done, harms I've done. And then uh, I prayed on it. And my higher powers told me that, how do I live with myself? I'm grateful. Yeah, I am grateful that for today, one day at a time, I am no longer like that. I have I am no longer I have completely changed attitudes, ideas, emotions. And I'm no longer doing that. I'm no longer doing those kinds of things for today. And, and uh you know she kind of like nodded her head and said, yeah yeah I you know she couldn't argue with me and uh I I continue to be extremely grateful so that that what I when I used what used to just fill me with shame I people would drag up the things that I've done and I've done a lot of bad things uh and they would just fill me with shame now it fills me with gratitude that I'm no longer like that
0: that's awesome thank you so much um that is powerful like um How can you not have joy when you're like, and I'm not like that. Like, yeah, give me some more. (laughs) Let's leave with a vision for you from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We will be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.